I love answering student questions. I get a lot of information, not only from the question, but from how the question is asked. And because my goal is to offer transformative learning experiences in my courses, I teach how to ask questions in a way that not only can you get the best answer, but in a way where it actually helps you find your own answer. So that's what I'll be sharing on this episode. So here we go, episode 33, how to ask questions. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Questions are powerful. There's a couple quotes I want to share with you. Uh, One of them is from Francis Bacon, and he says, a prudent question is one half of wisdom. And there's a quote by John Ruskin that says, to be able to ask a question clearly is two thirds of the way to getting it answered. I totally agree. When I teach, I ask my students a lot of questions. Uh, They're usually specific questions designed to focus their minds in the right places. In my video classroom, I actually have a series of videos called Three Questions for (laughs) fill in the blank. And these are all created to give students three questions to ask themselves to help them focus their attention and their mind on the criteria for the movement they're doing or to help them self-assess often uh, hard to define qualities that show up in horsemanship and dressage. Another reason I like to ask my students questions is because I want to hear them speaking out loud. You know, there's so much that I can learn by noticing someone's choice of words, tone of voice, the stories that they attach to them, and the assumptions that they're making. And usually all that information shows up in the way that they ask and answer questions. Now, I also want to empower students. And part of that means asking questions. So in the live calls that I do for my Habits for Excellent Horsemanship course, my Sweet Spot course, and my Upward Spiral courses, as well as in Facebook groups, often students will ask me to clarify something that their local instructor is doing in their lessons or something that they said in their lessons. And what I end up usually helping the student with is to know how and what they should be asking their instructor. Of course, what I'm learning is many instructors still follow a more military style of micromanaged teaching where the student is actually not allowed to speak. (laughs) And they're supposed to just simply do what they're told and then the time's up and they go away. So I... I always tempt students 
to be able to ask a, a question of their instructor during the lesson or before or after the lesson, you can ask the teacher like, hey, I, I have a question. When would be a great, a good time to ask it? But I would be cautious of anyone who doesn't welcome questions. Now, because I have many decades now of practicing answering student questions, in this context of empowering and transformative learning context, I want to share what I found to be a really valuable way to ask a question. Now, uh, I'll explain this on this podcast, but just know that there are videos in my video classroom on this. You can click on the video label communication and a bunch of videos will come up. And in particular, if you want to be amused by my and my husband's acting skills, <laughs> there's a video, June 2011 communication. It's a 20 minute uh, video that we did where we role played a little bit. So it's kind of ridiculous, but I think a lot of you could benefit from it. So let's get into how to actually ask a question. How you phrase your question can make all the difference between getting an excellent or appropriate answer and an answer that didn't quite answer what you thought you asked, or maybe not getting the right answer at all. And when I get emails from students, um, it's fun because I, you know, I like to remote problem solve. I like to read between the lines and in an email, you know, or a written question, all I have is the words in the email or in the question to try to form a picture of the situation they're describing. And that's also why I like the, the, my courses where I have live Q and a calls because they not only write the question in, but then I can actually talk to people and get the follow-up information. But it's kind of a game that I like to play when I get the email, I'm like, all right, where's the question? And then what's really the question? But sometimes the hardest part of the process is trying to figure out what the actual question is. And I realized that there were some emails that I would get that were easy to discern. And then other emailed questions were actually really hard to figure out what they were asking. I, I could, I sometimes send this, you know, show the email to my assistant or to my husband. I'm like, do you see a question mark? <laughs> I can't find the question mark. And that's a shame because I, I really want to help the person. So I, I decided to look at those emails and try to figure out why some questions were easier to answer um, than others. You know, it's not about how hard the question was. It's about how hard it was to figure out what the question was. So I've developed this format that can help you easily organize your questions. And if you can easily organize them, not only will you maybe be able to figure out more of the answer yourself, but whoever you're asking will also be able to figure it out. So the first thing to realize is that asking a question is different than telling a story. So in a story, there's a setup, a slow build to often a final and often dramatic conclusion. You know, there's sometimes a hero's journey, 
right? And we have to kind of hang on to the end to get the total arc of the story. But this is not what you want to do when asking a question. You want to think more about how a newspaper works. Well, at least the good old fashioned newspapers, not the opinion pieces, just good old fashioned, boring AP press reporting. So in those styles, there's a headline to grab the attention and bring focus to the subject. Then the first paragraph says the most important things you need to get the picture. And then the rest of the article, as you read, will give finer and finer uh, extra details. And this is what's called the inverted pyramid. You put the most information at the top and the details get, quote, less important as you go on. But you do want to still include them because they are important pieces of the puzzle, especially when you're asking a question. So if you send in your questions organized this way, it'll really help me or any other teacher to know, you know, to be able to focus quicker, more easily. If I know what the question is and what the problem is right away, then as I read the rest of it, I know what I'm supposed to be looking for. It'll give meaning to all the other details that you might give. Otherwise, I'm not going to know what's the pertinent information and what's not. And by the time I get through the whole story, then I get to the question. I'm like, oh, now I got to go read it again with a new set of ears. <laughs> and, you know, again, we want to be concise. We want to make it easy. I'm trying to answer your question. Make it easy for me. Now, before I get into the format for how to ask the specific question for you and your horse, I want to differentiate between a general question and a specific question about you and your horse, because those are kind of two different categories. Now, if you're asking a general technique or philosophy or theory question, I'm going to tempt you to make sure that you've done your research first. So in other words, if you ask a question such as, what does collection mean? Or how do you start a horse? <laughs> you need to understand that those are really big questions. I get those on Facebook a lot. What are your thoughts on bits? <sighs> so those are big, big questions. And if I want to answer them fully, and I, I love answering questions, and I want to give a good answer, but that's like a thesis, that's a dissertation. There, there's a lot of ground that you need to cover in answering a question like, what does collection mean? And there are entire books on those subjects. It's an in-depth thing. So <laughs> if I don't answer it fully, you know, the Facebook comment kind of version, then I might say something like, you know, collection equals carrying weight on the hind end, you know, or how to start a horse, you know, from the beginning. <laughs> and sometimes those short answers will maybe come off a little snarky, but, you know, sometimes a little information is actually worse than none. So if, if the person that you're asking that general question to has a website, has written a book, has a blog, has a podcast, has DVDs, has articles, search them first. Find out what you can find out on your own. 
curiosity or investigative behavior is a great thing to practice. And then if you've done your research and you still have a question, then you're going to be able to ask a much more precise question in regards to your particular situation that'll have a much better chance of resulting in a meaningful answer. I remember watching, uh, I was an auditor for Philip Carl clinic. I've, I've been to a, a few of his clinics and he often does a Q and A. And I can remember, you know, someone would ask the question and, you know, they send the questions in, he'd, he'd pick the question and the person would stand up. And if they asked a question, you know, let's say they asked, you know, what's collection? The first thing he would say is, have you read my book? And if they, you know, said yes, then he might say, well, what questions do you have, you know, beyond what's written in the book. But if they said, no, I haven't read the book, he'll go, well, that's in chapter three, <laughs> you know, part two, go read it. And then if you still have questions, ask me. And I often will answer a question like that. Uh, you know, I have so many training videos. I have a book, I have courses. So a lot of times I'll answer a question of going, well, there's a video in the classroom, June, 2011 communication, <laughs> you know, go check it out. And here's the thing, that's not at all meant to be an avoidance of the question or a disrespect or laziness. In fact, it's just the opposite. It means that I realize that this is an important question that students have. And in knowing that this is a question that's important to students, I actually sat myself down or whoever it is took the time to organize my thoughts, write the book, edit it, re-edit it, make a video, edit the video, reshoot some video just to make sure it's clear, put in graphics, and put it somewhere where you can access it at any time. So a lot of times I know when I post, you know, if someone asks a question and then I go, hey, here's a video, pop, 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 July, you know, July 2020, whatever it is, uh, it might, it feels almost to me like I'm like, I'm not blowing them off. It's actually my way to serve the best because I actually put a lot of thought into that. So if you ever ask a question like that and you get an answer from someone who does have a resource, uh, just know that's coming from the spirit of, of like, I'm so excited. I already thought about this for you because you're not alone. You don't you're not the only one with this question. Go check it out. And then when you get the next layer question, it's questions like, hey, Karen, I watched that video May 2012, you know, about collecting exercises, and I saw you did this and this with that horse, and I just was wondering, why did you do X, Y, and Z, you know, and you said, blop, can you explain that more? Yes! <laughs> like, now we're talking. So that's, that's next layer, higher level questions for um, something like that. So I guess my, my real message is take advantage of these things. If you care about the person's opinion, who you're asking a question like that, take advantage of the resources that they've already um, put the time into creating. Okay. So now back to how do you actually format your question? So the six steps are number one, state the question. Number two, state you and your horse's level of experience. Three, 
give any details about the subject of the question. Number four, some pertinent and peripheral details. Number five, what have you already tried? And then six, anything else you need to know. So I want to give an example. State the question first, and here's, here's a goal. Can you do it in one sentence? It's worth sitting yourself down and trying to figure out how to write the question in one sentence. This alone is going to clarify so many of your thoughts. So here's an example. What can I do when my horse hides from the contact and curls his neck when I ride him? Okay, that's a great question. And now if that's the leading first sentence of the email, Hey Karen, I got a question. What can I do when my horse hides from the contact and curls his neck when I ride him? Now, as I read everything else in the email, I already know what the question is and which is going to be information I need to pay attention to and which isn't. And I'm going to be looking for clues as to how to best answer that question that I already know. All right, next, number two, the brief description of your level of experience. This is important. It kind of gives me the context. So for example, and I'm just making this up. These are like typical questions. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> I just passed my level three in Pirelli and I've never ridden a horse in connection with the reins before. This horse was trained in Western pleasure until I bought him three months ago. All right. Now I have some context. So that could be, you know, I've ridden third level dressage. It could be, I'm a Grand Prix rider. It could be, I'm just started training level. So you got to say something that kind of lets me put you on the map somewhere. And um, that will help me figure out uh, where you are and how best to answer the question. And it'll help me understand what kinds of exercises to give you, you know, to solve this. All right. The next uh, is to give specifics about the issue in your question. For this step, see if you can do it in bullet points. They don't even have to be complete sentences. Bullet points are great. So for example, um, this person could say, he, he curls up in the halter and the bit, but he's worse in the bit. Next bullet point. I use a regular snaffle, kind of medium thickness. Next bullet point. It happens every time. It doesn't seem to matter if he's be having an introverted or extroverted day, but it's worse when he's introverted. All right. More really pertinent information. I don't need the story. I just need the information. So more peripheral de details still in bullet points. <laughs> bullet point one, I can get him to stretch online. He does pretty well, but even then sometimes his nose wants to go behind the vertical. Bullet point two, he sometimes pins his ears when I do online work. And when I try the basic alignment exercise, that's a dressage naturally exercise. Third bullet point, our freestyle is great. His impulsion's good, although he does tend to be a little on the woe side of things. And the fourth bullet point, I trust him. I feel really safe on him. All right. Good information to have. So this is where you want to just list things that pop into your head that you think might be important for me to know. So this, this layer of information really gets, gives the reader a, 
of clearer big picture of you and your horse. All right, now tell me what you've already tried. Still bullet points. I am such a fan of the bullet point. <laughs> so example bullet points for this topic could be, number one, I've played with these different bits, this, this, and this. He seems to be best in this kind of bit. Number two, I read your book and I've played with the information in that and DVD number one about riding in connection with the reins. Good to know. Number three, bullet point. Um, I've played with combing the reins or milking the reins, but then he only seems to alternate between rooting and curling. Okay, so I know a little bit of a, you know, technique. And the last, um, oh no, and then another bullet point could be, I've been alternating from freestyle, riding with no reins, to riding connection, but he still just always thinks he's supposed to curl up. And then the last bullet point of something they've been doing is, I've been doing Pilates to become more stable in my seat. Sometimes I feel wobbly and I thought that maybe that was making my hands unsteady. Great information to have, right? So I already know this person is thinking about their own position and they're doing some cross training. So that not only, not only gives me good information about um, what kind of a student they are, but then I, I know I can talk about position stuff and they'll kind of get it. And now sometimes when you're writing as the question asker, when you're writing out these questions, this is where you might start going, oh, you know what? I just realized there's a few things I haven't tried yet. <laughs> You know, so this is often where students will say, you know, is when I was writing out the bullet points for what I've already tried, that I realized that like there's only two things on the list and there's a whole bunch of other ideas of what I could try. All right, so then the last, the last part of this format is the anything else that I need to know. All right, now you can write a narrative. Now you can tell a story. So an example of this section could be this. They could write, this is really frustrating. I feel like I need to be light with my hands. My other teacher, a lower level, level dressage trainer, says I need to make him take the contact and really drive him from behind. I understand he needs to be engaged, but it feels wrong. My horse seems to get worse, even when the teacher rides him in this way, and he refuses to go forward at all. I'm 60 years old, and I've fox hunted all my life, but never rode dressage. I bought this horse because he's so smooth, sweet, and calm, and I thought I could play with a little dressage with him since I don't care to go bombing through the fields in the, anymore. It just has to be easier than this. Again, lots of great information. So here's a rider who used to fox hunt, you know, like, all right, so this, this lady can ride. <laughs> and she's done a lot of good foundation work, right? So this is all going to be part and I know she has a local instructor that's telling her certain things, right? This is great information. And again, every little nugget that she writes, every word she writes, I know the question I'm supposed to be answering. Pure gold. Now, as I give <clears throat> some more examples, and I'm going to give an example of how not to do it, uh, I just want to say a little disclaimer here. Please don't let this podcast and me talking about this make you nervous or self-conscious about sending me a question or asking me a question or about asking other teachers questions. 
This podcast is in the spirit of refining the art of clear communication, which of course is a huge part of horsemanship. You know, so I, I believe that while going through the process of forming your question, you're going to better understand your question and they're going to get better at answering the question, even yourself. And what is training and talking to our horses if it's not asking a question of our horse and then expecting an answer, right? So would you yield your hindquarters? Would you do a half pass? Would you extend your trot? I, I teach in, in my programs, especially in the finding the sweet spot of healthy biomechanics is where we really teach people to get that responsiveness, but not in a way where you're going, you must do this, but it's in a question, would you? And you get that feeling of your horse would, and then you live in that moment where you're riding around in a consistent moment while still feeling like at any moment your horse could do anything you asked anything you asked. So this art of asking questions is directly related to how you're talking to your horse. And often I tell students, you know, if you, your horse could suddenly miraculously understand English and he said, what do you want me to do, mom? Could you come out with the question that you're asking of your horse right now in one simple sentence? Could you? So this is why I focus on this so much. So this is, you can listen to this podcast in a couple different layers, but, you know, use it to, to improve how you ask questions, human to human, and use it to clarify how you're communicating to your horse. If this is hard for you to write, it's probably hard for you to think. And if it's hard for you to think of it clearly, it's going to be hard for you to translate that to your horse. All right, so now I want to give you an example. It's exaggerated, but not so exaggerated. It's pretty close to um, many emails that I've gotten. But I, I won't, this is a made up email for the sake of illustrating the point, but I wanna show you the opposite of the format that I just read to you. All right, here goes. Hi, Karen. I love your materials. Thanks so much for the classroom. It's amazing. I've learned so much. I started riding when I was five and I even competed in barrel racing and then did some English hunter jumper type stuff. I have a wonderful teacher. She really lets us have fun during the lessons. I was so lucky. Then I went to college and stopped riding for a while. I started up again after I got married and I bought a warm blood thoroughbred cross. He's black with four white socks, really beautiful. He's the horse of my dreams. He runs off sometimes, but I'm not really scared of that. He just feels good and needs to move. I did start taking some lessons with a local trainer after doing some horsemanship foundation. She wants me to hold him tightly in the reins and sometimes he gets tense, but I've played with your material so I know how to make it better when I get home. He has a nice smooth trot and I even started some jumping with him. I know I have scoliosis and I'm doing some Pilates and yoga, so I'm becoming much more aware and symmetrical. I'm using a Myler comfort snaffle with your reins attached. I love them and he seems to also. My question is, could he tilt his head, could his head tilt when he goes track left be related to why I have trouble picking up the right lead? At home, he's able to stretch nicely and he generally does his other transitions really well. Again, thanks so much for all you do. So how many of you 
we're able to keep track of all those pieces of information in there that were in there in the beginning. And if you were focused on all those details in the beginning, did you catch the question? Now I stumbled over it when I read it, so it made it kind of stand out. Now, and if once you got to the question, did you make you want to go, wait, what did, you know, what did she say in the beginning? I forgot which were the important details. So I, do any of you remember there's a, a joke from when I was a kid where, you know, someone would be like, okay, so there's a bus and it has 12 people on the bus. And at the first bus stop, three people get off and five people get on. Then it goes to the next bus stop a half a mile away and two more people get off and six get on and this goes on for a while and then at the end of the joke it's like you know what's the bus driver's name <laughs> like I don't know so when you don't know the question ahead of time you don't know what's the important thing so can you see how it could be difficult to give this person a really meaningful answer. So there actually was the question in there. And the question was, could the head tilt when he goes track left be related to why I have trouble picking up the right lead? And my answer would be, yes, it could be related. But that doesn't really help too much. Now I can deduce that he's impulsive and unbalanced based on other things she mentioned but you can see it's not so easy for me to feel like I can give a great answer. So let's see if I'm even able to put it into the format that I just mentioned earlier. So if we took this email just as I read it and let's drop it into that format. So the quest, what's the question? Could the, head could the head tilt when he goes track left be related to why I have trouble picking up the right lead? What's the basic level of the human and the horse? unknown. There's some horsemanship foundation, some barrel racing, some hunter jumper stuff of unknown level. So what are some specifics about the question? Bullet points. We know sometimes he tilts his head going to the left. When, why, how often is unknown. I can go back and see that it, it, there's difficulty picking up the right lead type of the difficulty unknown, how it shows up is unknown. And I know she's in a Mylar comfort snaffle. Some related info, bullet points. I know that sometimes he runs off, but the rider's not afraid. When he runs off, why he runs off, unknown. What she does to stop him, unknown. More related information, the rider's taking Pilates and yoga to help with asymmetries. I know uh, that during lessons, things get tense and tight. The reins are being held tight. And I know at home, she lets them stretch a lot. And I know that other transitions are okay. Next section, what she already tried, unknown. And then what else? So that's where I put all the other information that's not sorted into those other categories. She started writing when she was five competed, uh, had a wonderful teacher when she was young, used to be fun. <laughs> she took a break from riding for a while. Uh, it's a warm blood, thoroughbred, warm blood thoroughbred cross with four white socks and he's black. He's beautiful. <laughs> um, he has a nice smooth trot. She's done a little jumping. 
So even when it's organized in this way, it's clearer, but it's also clear that there's a lot of information missing. So the best answer is going to be the answer that's most appropriate for the person. You know, <laughs> we need more information. So when I walk my students through this process of filling out all these things, here's what often happens. My question is, I love that. My question is this, here's, here's where I'm at on the map of levels. Here's some specifics. Here's some related info. Here's what I've already tried. Here's some other information. And then often at the end of the email, after this beautiful, well-structured question, they write the sentence, oh, I think I figured it out. <laughs> and that happens so many times. So I hope you um, took notes on this. I actually have a blog called How to Ask Horsemanship Questions. Uh, it's on my blog on my website. Um, I'll put the link to it in the show notes for this podcast and the show notes, some places where podcasts are posted, you can find the details and it'll be there. If you can't just go to my website, dressagenaturally.net slash podcast and look for episode 33. And when you go to that page, there'll be a whole page with any kind of links and things that I've mentioned during the podcast. So I hope that this doesn't make you tentative about sending me questions. I hope that it gives you um, great curiosity to see how this can work for you in my step-by-step -step courses, my sweet spot course, my horsemanship course, my upward spiral course. Um, we do live Q and A's in the sweet spot course. Uh, we do live Q and A calls every week with me and my instructor. So I've got a lot of practice answering questions and you know, it's so important to ask questions and to have somebody reach out to, and especially people who share the same principles and priorities and kind of get what you're trying to do. As you can imagine, there's an infinite number of exercises that you can um, do with your horse. There's so many different points of view. And I think what's important is to find the person that matches your principles and priorities and that can take you on the whole journey. Someone who knows how to build the partnership you want and can take that partnership with you as you create healthy biomechanics. And you take all of that with you as you learn to gymnastically develop your horse. So <laughs> that's what I do. This is what we do here in Dressage Naturally. So I hope that if you have questions, you will seek out some of the many resources that we have. Uh, and as always, find me in the Dressage Naturally Land Facebook group. Please let me know what you think um, about this podcast. What did you learn? I'd love to continue the discussion. And don't be afraid to ask me questions. But also, um, don't be surprised if when you ask a question, I might come back and go, hey, you know, read this blog or listen to this podcast. Uh, and if I do that, it just means I want to be able to answer the question as best as I possibly can. And if you change the way you're asking it, that's only going to help everybody. All right. Be well.
If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process. Mm -hmm.